Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. Today's episode is a unique one. Ing Podcast host Allison Moss and I will be part of a crossover podcast episode with Allison and Josh Raskin, ministers who recently created the podcast Reclamation Faith as a way to explore faith, community, and spiritual vibrancy in a changing religious landscape. Over the course of the last six months or so, especially in the midst of the pandemic, we've really been burdened for the amount that we're seeing of kind of this need for people to have a space to process an evolving, you know, faith expression. Our hope with it is to help spiritually displaced people reclaim their role in God's story. And so that's really what Reclamation is about and that burden that kind of it was birthed out of. After we're done with this conversation, we hope you head over to the Reclamation Faith Podcast to hear the second part of our discussion together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ing Podcast. I'm here with three people today. One is our very own Ben Weidman, the producer of this podcast. But I'm also here with Allison and Joshua Raskin. Hello, Allison and Joshua. Hi. Hello. Glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, so um, this is Allison with one L. There are two Allisons on this. <laughs> I know, you're going to have to keep us straight. <laughs> clarify that. Um, Josh and I are just starting to launch a new project, a new ministry um, that we're calling Reclamation Faith. And we're doing that through um, a podcast, a social media presence, and some prayer and hope. <laughs> and a lot of guesswork. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of guesswork for yeah. sure. Yeah, Allison and I have been in ministry for the past almost decade in different capacities. I've been a pastor in now two different churches. Allison's been in parachurch ministry. We've primarily worked with younger populations, mm-hmm. youth, college students, young adults. I had the pleasure of getting to know the two of you um, just briefly uh, because we crossed over during our time at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, <laughs> we we shared that unique journey. Um, I, I always found it so fascinating. I think we had classmates there at this large um, uh, evangelical seminary who would have come from communities who told them, don't go to Fuller, it's far too conservative. Yep. And we would have had classmates whose, whose communities told them, don't go there, it's far too progressive. And yes. the student body kind of like represented that. I remember one of my mm-hmm. first classes was um, an intro to Christian ethics with Glenn Stassen. And I remember people storming out of that class because we started yes. talking about controversial things like, um, you know, pro-life versus pro-choice or what did it mean to be a Christian in pro-war or pacifist or, you know, things like, like that were going on and people just couldn't handle that they had come from this Christian tradition that they thought they knew everything about. And all of a sudden they were in this learning space where, where all of that started to crumble and the diversity of the church (laughs) showed itself in, in that, um, weird Southern California collision of cultures. <laughs> that's, that's where the two of you met, right? That was your uh, the beginning of your relationship. I'm curious if you would be willing to share, what was it like to sort of um, find your partner while studying theology in Southern California? 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We, it was a good thing for us. Absolutely. It worked out really well. <laughs> um, we definitely joked at first that we had a cross-cultural marriage because mm-hmm. I was from the East Coast mm-hmm. and Josh was SoCal yeah. all the way. Well, I, well I not really. In, I was raised in Northern California, but I had gone to college in San Diego. So Fuller was, you know, just a, a hop, skip and a jump up the road. Sure. For me. So mm-hmm. it felt very familiar. Yeah. Um, and we met, yeah, during Welcome Week. I know. Very um, embarrassing, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those people. <laughs> but it was uh, it was interesting because I think, you know, you, Allison, your background, people were kind of saying more like, oh, Fuller's too conservative. I had both. When you said that, Ben, I was like, oh, I definitely had multiple voices yeah, saying both yeah. of the things. Like, the, no, don't go there. It's too progressive. Don't go there. It's yeah, too conservative. Yeah. And more of the background I was coming from was kind of saying, oh, that's really, they don't even believe in the Bible and like all this stuff. It was very <laughs> skeptical. But yeah, that that fascinating, I think, you know, melting pot of theologies in mm-hmm. a way. It was really cool for us and, and an awesome time to explore our gifts and our gifts together. And I think that we had a desire, you know, throughout, our dating at Fuller and marriage to do ministry together. And so reclamation is kind of like a realization of this decades long hope right. that started at Fuller and in seminary that we would kind of use our gifts in a shared project. Yeah. So we've done, mm-hmm. we've definitely supported each other's ministries like mm-hmm. as volunteers, you know, um, over the past 10 years, but this is our first, you know, co- endeavor. right. <laughs> endeavor together. Yeah. I think I was in that class, Ben. The Christian ethics class with you, where people were storming out. It's yeah, very I mean, possible. That distinctly. Yeah. <laughs> we were we were very shaped by Glenn Stess, and he was a, uh-huh. just a phenomenal Definitely. mentor figure. I think. Me too, and I I can't help but think right now about his his constant refrain: "We need to find a thicker Jesus." Yeah. When I see yeah. sort of like the the sort of Christian talking heads, especially those sort of saying that Trump is the sort of embodiment of the Christian faith. I, I think like, where is Glenn in all this? And can, <laughs> yeah, he, right. can he please speak to this moment right now? And yeah. unfortunately he passed away. Yeah. yeah. He always seemed to have just this way of bringing things down to such an, a relatable, gentle level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun to hear you all talk about your seminary experience um, because I heard a lot of the same thing. I did not go to Fuller, but um, I heard a lot of the same things when I went to seminary of like, oh, you know, a lot of people don't leave there believing in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I do, I wonder where that comes from. And, and the people who would tell me were not people who had gone and experienced seminary. Right. right. Which is so interesting. And I just, I guess I was sitting back asking the question, what is seminary for? I mean, yeah, there's professional training that happens, but it's not, I don't know, I didn't take a ton of practical classes that taught me how to do church budgets and all the things <laughs> I wish that I had learned. Right. There's a lot of like pushing of boundaries and yeah. mm-hmm. exploring new things and yeah, areas of ministry you maybe thought you wouldn't explore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think seminary, one of the, the main goals or, or benefits I saw is that it really teaches you to think critically mm-hmm. about your faith and to treat your faith as something treasured, traditional, cherished, but also something that's open to be shaped and transformed. And that is just not a value that I think is present in a lot of churches, especially churches that I had been a part of up to that point, more evangelical, conservative congregations, where 
doubt and questions and pushing back against the norms, right. I guess, are, are, it's not really a welcomed practice. And so seminary gives you those gifts. And I think that makes people nervous if doubt isn't a value, if, um, you know, shaping mm-hmm. your values isn't seen as something that's important. Um, you know, and I think that right now we're seeing this outcry among especially younger generations because they do have questions and they haven't been allowed to find spaces to ask those questions. I think that leads quite nicely into why I start a podcast. I've been really touched um, listening and following along with um, your incredible podcast, uh, Reclamation Faith, because you are willing to um, walk that line, inviting doubt along for the journey. I think um, I think there is this deep, deep fear in so many institutionalized faith spaces that if we start asking questions or if we start admitting the parts that we're uncomfortable with or don't really know the answer to that, that somehow all will be lost. Like it's just this like very, very, um, uh, I don't know, tenuous relationship that we have with faith where it's all about to just um, blow away like a pile of dust if we're not protecting it so carefully. I I think seminary, if you can make it through, (laughs) um, you end up with this like much deeper uh, appreciation for faith because you've wrestled with it. And, and I wonder, um, is that, uh, at all in, in your mind as you navigate this new podcast journey as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I think that it's a cultural shift, um, maybe generationally as well. Whereas, um, younger emerging generations are more comfortable with the gray. Uh, and so they are seeking that, right? Like the, doubt alongside the questions or the, yeah, just the gray areas of life are very apparent to them and embraced by them. And so when there is that shutting down of questions or kind of a sense in a, in a community, in a faith community that they're, that this could all blow away, like you said, Ben, Uh, um, that this is a fragile thing, then that just, I think, reeks to them you know, of something false. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, with our project, our hope is that we can create a space where both of those things are, are held and are safe. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about deconstruction and reconstruction together. Yeah. And it's very like the podcast itself is very nascent. It's very new. It's just finding its audience and footing it. And we're just learning how to do it. But the feedback we have received from people is overwhelmingly like, uh, this is giving voice to things that I've felt and wrestled with, but I've never known that I can talk about these things, mm-hmm. you know? And that's been so just affirming for us um, that there is a need for this. And the more we dig into the, these kinds of communities online and similar podcasts, we're seeing this burgeoning conversation mm-hmm. taking place everywhere. And I do think that it is because there is a need for that, not just now at the professional level of people who are mm. studying to be ministers or missionaries or vocational, you know, pastors of some sort. It's more, it's more that is now a need that's abroad mm. and it's across the the body of Christ. And it's a reflection, I think, of a lot of different things in our culture and this current moment in history. It's a reflection of the fact that the leaders who once so unquestioningly taught these truths are now themselves being called into question because of their commitments politically or morally 
Um, and a lot of those things are no longer aligning with the values of many people. So yeah, it's, mm. it's a lot going on right now. It certainly does feel like it fits a need. I mean, I work with college students, I think who are mm. in this season of transition and figuring out what their faith means and they don't quite identify with the faith their parents hold or want them mm-hmm. to hold. Um, and I, I, for me personally, I hear a lot about deconstruction and Mm -hmm. what I really love about your project is this emphasis on reconstruction, right? If we only focus Mm -hmm. on deconstruction, we're out in this sea of open water and that can be really scary. And maybe it's necessary to go there to start Mm -hmm. the work. Um, but I would, I would love to hear more about what, why, and how do you focus on reconstruction? What does that mean mm-hmm. for you and for Reclamation Faith? Well, I think similar to what you just said, Allison, we were seeing the same thing, that there were so many outlets for and um, podcasts for and hashtags for <laughs> <laughs> deconstruction. Um, and we had friends, too, who were going through that in a very pronounced way mm-hmm. and students who were going through that and there didn't seem to be an an option for them Mm. to grow any piece of their faith besides if they went back to church. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a space where someone could have deconstructed or be in that process and also then start to build back and see what are the things that I'm going to continue to like build my life upon or to cling to. Mm -hmm what is going to be life-giving to me in this new season. It just seemed like you would have to do that journey alone yeah, or go back to church. And that isn't always what someone wants to do after that journey. Right. I think the word reconstruction is a little intimidating because it can almost feel like we're rushing people. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Just, just hmm. set aside all these questions and build something new or build back to what you had before. And that's definitely not what we want to be about. We think that there is a need for deconstruction and a lot of value in it. But what burdens us is that it is so often done in isolation and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot there for people who want to ask, could, could this look different? Could my faith not be in a church and still be vibrant? Could I find a community outside of a prescribed small group or Bible study class or something like that? You know, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of that going on and maybe that's just because the the deconstruction, so to speak, is so widespread mm-hmm. uh, right now. But we're really interested on okay, what comes next? And you know, so we value the deconstructive elements that are in vogue right now, and they're very needed. And I don't think they're going to slow down anytime mm-hmm. soon. But mm-hmm. we're also recognizing that something is going to come from this, and it's probably going to look pretty different than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. And we want to just kind of be in that conversation as it comes about. And I guess the term too that we've been using is reclamation. (laughs) So like Mm -hmm. the reclaiming is at least an initial stab, you know, at something rather than reconstruction does sound so uh, finalized. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I feel like it's hard too when you, I don't know, the reconstruction feels like you're getting – back to where you were, but Mm -hmm. it does really feel like after you deconstruct, it's a new thing. It's not a, a re thing. And, and part of it I think is the reclaiming the parts that 
you love and bring life yeah. and joy and hope. Um, mm-hmm. But a, a lot of it is, I mean, it's beautiful that you're creating community around it because I think a lot of it feels so scary and why people maybe don't even want to claim deconstruction is because, well, where do I go from here? I Yeah, maybe I'm ready to reconstruct, but I don't even know where to start. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know what my end goal is. So how do I take that first step? So it's it's lovely yeah. that you've kind of just started the conversation. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, we sense that, you know, that if there's not anywhere to go, if the, this kind of idea that I'm just going to be in the wilderness on my own, that's going to prevent people from being honest with the questions and concerns they do have. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, if if we can be one small voice saying, no, it's okay, like we're here too, and <laughs> come be, hang out with us for a little bit and let's see where this goes, like, man, that would just be a gift from God uh, in our minds. What What has the global pandemic um, done for the importance of this kind of a space being created, do you think? I I, I get mm. the sense that this, this need to be um, examining our faith in... Um, reforming, recommitting is, is something it's not new in any ways, but I I do have a a funny feeling that the pandemic is speeding up the urgency for, for taking a closer look at this. Do you, do you share that? We absolutely do. Yes. Yeah. 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 This, it felt inevitable, like that this movement, you know, was coming for a while. And, um, you know, I think 2016 really put it on, you know, and shifted it into a higher gear than it was before. Um, with the election and just the the vast polarization that we're seeing and a lot of the church being kind of caught up in some pretty nasty conversations and stances. But I think that the pandemic, you know, even more so shifted mm-hmm. it to hyperspeed. And actually yeah. the vision for this came about right around the time where we realized this thing ain't going away anytime mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the realization I think we had in our conversations is there are going to be a lot of people who are not going to go back to church after this. Mm-hmm. Um, they've now disconnected from their communities out of necessity. Uh, they literally can't go to church. And there's going to be a lot of people who say, is my life that different? It is, am I missing something? You know, like, and, and so reclamation wasn't really born so much out of um, this conflict of, oh, these people who are just so fed up. It was more just that need for people who are kind of, questioning their ties to the institutional church in the midst of this displacement mm-hmm. uh, that's been caused by the pandemic. So yeah, we think that the, yeah. the need that was already there is now accelerated. Yeah. Yeah. Hugely accelerated. Yeah. And Allison, you had some really interesting. Yeah. So for me, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that without this will sound a little odd, but I don't know that without the pandemic that I would be in these shoes filling this role right now, because I really Part of why, um, part of why I want to do this project, part of what I'm most curious about, and this gets a little into theodicy, but we'll, I'll try to, I'll try to go light here. Um, <laughs> during the beginning of the pandemic, I was, I've been reading through the Bible. I was in Jeremiah, deep in the prophets, and it was as though the world around me was experiencing the same thing, like the mm. decentralization of worship. Like our church doors were literally locked. No one was going to church. And my question in all of that, that I kept bringing before God and not finding any answers for in um, any prophetic voices or, or church voices around me was, 
God, what are you doing here? Like, what new thing are you doing here? Like, this is tragic and this is hard and there is so much pain and, um, yeah, tragedy right now. But also it felt to me like God's spirit was growing something new, um, and like revealing himself, God's self in a new way. And so a huge piece of what I'm excited about with reclamation is gathering that community and hearing from people as to what they have sensed God's spirit doing outside of the church. And I'm not throwing the church away whatsoever, but (laughs) I think that is, this has been such an interesting time in our we'll say church history. <laughs> and um, I think to not ask that question, we would be really missing something. In challenging times, how do we prepare for tomorrow? Invest in the path ahead with hope and sharing, love and caring, and with help from Everance. Many of us are taking it day by day, step by step, How can we make room for financial strategies and the Holy Spirit to help guide us for the longer term? Financial services for a purpose. Visit us today at everance.com. You you mentioned not throwing the church away. Um, I'm wondering what what do you think, what is the hope for the church moving forward um, through pandemic, through this new way of, of thinking and people asking questions about how and why the institution matters. What do you think the future looks like? What's your hope for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as a pastor, I've wrestled with that a lot. <laughs> and I think that that's been a tension I've felt doing this project is like, we're talking about hope for people outside of the church. And what if there is a decentralized kind of faith expression that people are going to be moving into? At the same time, I work in a centralized (laughs) faith expression (laughs) or an institution. Mm -hmm. And I love being a pastor and I love the church dearly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't think it's an either or, you know, these, these shifts and these transitions that we see in history, it's never just, you know, one day everyone wakes up and does something differently. Um, It's so often these movements or shifts happen and the old system responds and in a way sharpens itself because of the pushback that it's receiving, because of the yeah. exodus that it's seen. I just finished a really great book on this called The Great Emergence um, by Phyllis Tickle. And she talks a lot about that, how every 500 years or so, there's like this, she calls it a rummage sale, <laughs> you know, where the church just kind of throws out so much, but it, it leads to these huge, often unfortunately bloody splits, you know, the Great Schism or the Protestant Reformation. But what happens is the old system retraditions and grows stronger and actually more influential. So I think my hope in this as a pastor is one, there would be a lot of grace for people inside the church towards those who have left and are still Mm. interested in faith and have questions. Um, And that a grace that comes out, not in a come back, come back kind of way, like you're, you're in the, you know, no man's land out there, but so much more just kind of like we're with you no matter what. I, I hope the same for people who have left the church behind, that there's an understanding that my experience might not have been good. It might've even been harmful, but there's a lot of people who still find so much beauty Mm -hmm. and goodness in the church as an institution, you know, and that's, that's the tricky thing, right? Church as an institution versus (laughs) the, the big C, little C kind of church as God's universal body. But yeah, I think that, that there would be that understanding that they wouldn't lead to, 
a lot of conflict and and yeah that the church would really open itself to a need to listen to the you know those who are dissenting and learn from their questions and see the ways that we have become captive to the culture yeah. in a lot of regards i have a, a friend who used to say if we um if we believe in empires having a lifespan then we should vote for the administration that's going to cause the most destruction and bring about the end of this empire. Um, I think that, I think that that's, um, that's an interesting approach, but it overlooks the sort of destruction that might happen along the way. And I think I have this feeling at times where I'm like, just burn the whole thing to the ground when it comes Mm -hmm. to church and church structures, you know, wanting to see new growth and thinking the best way to, to get there faster is to just set a match to the whole thing. But I think, I think that overlooks sort of what Phyllis Tickle says, right. In in that there's still good there. There's still something redeemable, Mm -hmm. even if something new takes shape. um, Let's not, let's not throw the entire thing out. We'll, we'll miss something of value if we do that. And I think, I think the posture that I'm hearing from the two of you in both your podcast episodes in this conversation right now is that there is, there's both hope in something new coming and also in redeeming what we currently have. And, and both of those things can coexist somehow. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something that we very much, hope for and, right. and pray for it. Yeah. You know. And it's, it's been a tricky line to walk for right. sure in launching this and in wanting to affirm both of those things. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard balance. It's hard too, for those of us who get a paycheck from institutionalized church. <laughs> <laughs> to, um, I'm very grateful. What our lives might be like otherwise. I, I Meredith looked at me recently and and said, "You know what would our church attendance be like if if you weren't on staff?" And and I don't think either of us have a good answer to that question um, most most yeah. days. And um, yeah, and we love our church too, even in the right. midst of of saying that. Hmm. Yeah, that's so honest, Ben. It yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> and that's hard. I mean, I think that that reality is it's a gift, and <laughs> sometimes for people it can right. be a curse because that right. need to to keep the dollars flowing. Mm-hmm. And often the times those, those dollars or that institutional stability, let's say on a broader level comes yeah. from people who are more entrenched and people who are more traditional and people who don't like change. And so risk in the church as an institution is harder to come by. So in a way, yes, what a gift. And I'm thankful to be part of a church that's very much affirming of this journey we're taking. Mm-hmm. That's really not connected to the church at all. But I know that for many people, that's just not an option. For many leaders who maybe even are asking these questions right. and longing for these conversations, they don't have that outlet because they are, you know, they need to pay attention to the realities and the needs of their congregations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even, yeah, even in the short lifespan of this project, we've had Christian leaders reach out to mm-hmm. us personally and talk about how refreshing it is to find space for them yeah. where they can kind of hold these doubts and questions alongside of hope. Yeah. At the beginning of this conversation, we talked about seminary, right? Where mm-hmm. we're allowed to ask questions and we're pushing boundaries and we're kind of discovering what faith means and can encompass. And we're seeing how other people interpret things. And then it feels like, at least this is feels like my experience is you take those 
ordination exams or you get your first job and it feels like, all right, well, now I have to have it figured out. I'm Mm. the authority in this space. (laughs) My faith can't be as dynamic, at least Mm. outwardly, as it was. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just curious how (laughs) – is that something that leaders should – be able to practice how do I mean is this podcast project giving you permission to be more outward with how dynamic your faith experience has been Hmm. is that too vulnerable of a question (laughs) (laughs) I think that there's a need for leaders to have spaces for these kinds of conversations I, in my experience, if you get a bunch of pastors in a room <laughs> and there's, they start getting really real with one another, mm-hmm. we share a lot of the same concerns, right? We mm-hmm. share a lot of the same burdens and exhaustion. And, yeah. you know, I know that was true for you in parachurch ministry as well, Allison, where, you know, people would get together and it was almost this therapy session. Right, group therapy. for sure. Um, I think for me personally, doing this podcast and having you alongside, you know, it's been very healing. Like I needed this in a way. And so I think for whatever it is for leaders to find a place where they can be vulnerable, you know, the church that I was in before this, like there just were a lot of issues there that I had to face and I didn't really have a safe outlet. And I was really, really struggling personally, just in my own faith. I, I really wrestled with a lot of my own deconstruction in that season. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think that this project, this podcast in a way has been a godsend for me personally, just even as a leader. And I think that coming back into the church, then I'm more equipped to ask, where is this person really? Or Mm -hmm. what is the need of this community really? Um, with everything that I see in their lives or in the world. And so I do think it's a sharpening process. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's exactly answering your question or not, Allison. It's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I have those people too, right. That I get to be asking, <laughs> asking the most vulnerable questions about my faith that I wouldn't, you know, maybe reveal to a congregant or a college student that I'm getting coffee with. Um, and I wonder if there is, I mean, I, I think part of that is okay to protect that within yourself as a, as a faith leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do wonder, like, this is a question I ask myself of, you know, how, how much of that do I embrace so that I can model to people that it's okay to be yeah. asking these questions, right? As even as someone yeah. who spent a lot of hours in scripture, right. reading about theology, asking these big questions about who is God and why does it matter to me? Um, I do feel like there, there needs to be space, at least for a little bit of that for, for leaders. And some congregations are ready to hear it and others aren't. Mm, um, that's right. so true. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It has such a transformative power too. Like I, I don't think we can overlook um, that it is, it is certainly a privilege to, to mm-hmm. admit as a church leader that we experience doubt or struggle or things like that. But that 
Um, I, like I have a very vivid memory of sitting down for coffee with, um, uh, my local church minister on a, a break from college in which I, I said something along the lines of like, I, I can't wait until I'm an older person when I have more of this figured out. And he sort of <laughs> chuckled and said like, Ben, I got to tell you, pastors are the ones who struggle the most with what they believe. And I, I think in that moment, like something crystallized for me that, that I then probably held on to as I made my own movement into a, a career path towards pastoral ministry that probably had he said something else like, yeah, you know, I've learned a lot in my life. I probably would have, I, I don't know, I, I may have even been deterred from considering the church as a space where I would would find real value or meaning or, or things like that. Yeah. So I don't know, there's power there. And I, and I, I think what we're getting at here too, is that you got to figure out where it's appropriate too, right? Like yeah. um, you don't want to destroy or crush someone's um, uh, ideas mm-hmm. or, or what they believe in simply by uh, relaying your own doubt. Um, yeah. But, but it can be transformative too. For me, I know that that discernment is hard, but it's so often there's this side of me that kind of knows I shouldn't just like, (laughs) (laughs) I should not open my mouth right now. Um, Especially when my emotions are heightened and I'm feeling hurt and angry and bitter. Those are the times where I want to speak. I need some space to process. But if someone is innocent, (laughs) like I'm going to do some damage. And so it's not even... It's not always even just a where can I talk, but it's a how is my heart right now mm-hmm. and what is the motivation really flowing from? You know, we talked in our last episode that, that went up this week about holding on to like hope and love and productive conflict and all these things that we need to kind of really cling to in this process, whether we're deconstructing or reconstructing. And I think that's so essential because it's in those times where I'm operating from a place of just abject bitterness or cynicism that I, I know as a pastor, I could really do some damage to someone. Um, but when I'm speaking out of my own humble sense mm-hmm. of I've grown through these doubts or I wrestle with this, but I hold on to a lot of hope and trust that that's when I feel like those conversations like you're, you're describing Ben really come about. Yeah. Well, friends, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk and to have this conversation. It really has felt very conversational and, we know that the conversation uh, could keep going, and in fact, it will keep going. Um, <laughs> Allison and I have been invited to join Josh and Allison over at their podcast, which is really exciting. We're going to try a bit of a crossover here. Um, so head on over to uh, Reclamation Faith to find out more about part two from our conversation together. Um, Josh and Allison, can you tell us a little bit more about where we might find Reclamation Faith? Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously we've talked a little bit about the podcast, Reclamation Faith. Uh, So check us out anywhere really you can get a podcast. Mm -hmm. I think you can find it. Uh, We are also on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Reclamation Faith uh, on Facebook, Reclamation underscore Faith on Instagram. And what we're trying to do there is really um, have a platform where people can tell stories through submitting, you know, just short snippets of their life. And so we're building that. We're excited about it. And then also we have a website that is very basic, (laughs) reclamationfaith.com. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks for being here on Ing Podcast. Those who are listening, please go check out their podcast and uh, especially the other part of this conversation. We hope you join us again.
As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support Ing Podcast. We'd also like to thank today's episode sponsor, Everance, a faith-based financial services organization. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Ing Podcast? Let us know by emailing theing at menomedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show was produced by me, Ben Weidman. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org. <laughs>